As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Bent into the penalty area, bouncing around, chance! Goal Manchester United! Rasmus Hoyland breaks his duck in the Premier League! And what a time to do it! This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And well, you know that thing we said about not doing any more pods until the new year? Yeah, we lied. Because Talk of the Devils is back from our festive slumber after the Christmas Eve announcement of Ineos' investment in Manchester United. And of course, that brilliant Boxing Day comeback against Aston Villa (laughs) as well. What's more... The full band is back together as well. I've dragged Carl away from his box set. Sandy's had to put down his <laughs> bottle of Brahma and Laurie has placed his baby back in a manger. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, we'll talk about the investment shortly, but we have to start with that win, Laurie, don't we, last night? I mean, what a second half from United that was. We have to start with your post-match interview, don't we, Ian? On the pitch at Old Trafford, asking Rasmus Hoyland about his first Premier League goal and you got the best line. <laughs> it was good, yeah. The happiest man He said he alive. was the happiest man in the world. I was shortly, just just behind him, I think, <laughs> at that point. It was brilliant to see you on there and, you know, sporting the kind of winter beard that I think would, you know, a young Santa Claus would, would be happy with. Um, and But no, the, the kind of the whole theme, we were just talking off air, weren't we, Carl, where it felt like actually United really, really needed that. I know that we've been kind of despondent and we you can pick holes in a lot of things that have gone wrong this season. But just to kind of give a real boost of energy around the place, and for the particular players that stood up and performed, I thought it was um, you know encouraging. I'm not going to get carried away. It's not a turning point. It's not something that you can kind of create lasting success on. You know, going two 0 down and staging a rousing comeback. But the fact that Rasmus Hoyland scored the winner, Alejandro Garnacho, I thought seized responsibility. Marcus Rashford looked you know back to what he can usually do on the left. Um, Bruno Fernandes having a Nice time in uh, number 10. Um, obviously, Aston Villa played into United's hands with the high line and, and kind of sustaining that throughout the game. But I think um, in terms of an Old Trafford occasion, it was a pretty special one. Can we not get carried away just for a moment, Carl? Because <laughs> it was really good, wasn't it? I got carried away a little bit last night, I have to say. So I was I was covering that one remotely. I did the on-whistle piece on the Athletic. Um, so I finished the game. I uh, Here's a question, Ian. What sound effect did you make when Hoyland scored? 
zero i was a very neutral journalist last night <laughs> okay 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 i I, th- I think i did a uh, i did two yelps in the hotel lobby and he just went ka-ching didn't he <laughs> i did i'm not a gambling man but when villa went 2-0 up i put 10 pounds on manchester united to win the game i've only gambled 30 pounds in 2023 i could see that from my <laughs> not often used account and i won 120 pounds don't spend so it on too many caprinias whilst you're over there half of a cocktail next time i'm out with lorry you've been learning about cocktails in brazil i was gonna say yeah sat in his hammock yeah you can afford a couple of caprinias yeah i'm in a hammock all it is is a sheet mate tied between two two um poles but yeah you are but, looking but quite you, red I, I know you've got this image right <laughs> I, I grew up in Stretford and Urmston. This is too hot for me. It's not a good thing me being here. When uh, I think, so I finished the on whistle piece after fin- yelping about Hoyland's goal. Went to the hotel bar, asked the bartender for for a drink, uh, and he looked at me uh, and said, "Would you like some water with your drink?" In a, you're going to get a bit carried away with how many celebratory drinks you're going to have with this United result. Would you like? Oh uh, yeah, please. Could you give me two glasses of water? Goes there you go, mate. Um, but yeah, overjoyed, overjoyed. Because when it was two 0 I was re- my hands were beginning to tremble. There, going, I don't know, I don't have it in me to write another two 0 defeat to a team in claret and blue in however many days. Things were looking bleak for a bit, weren't they? They were because they, the goals were awful. <laughs> the two terrible set piece goals in quick succession again. Manchester United. Still have this habit, Andy, of conceding quick goals one after the other. And just the nature of those two goals as well were were pretty alarming. Although I did learn that Aston Villa's set-piece coach is called Austin McPhee. So in some ways it was worth United conceding those goals just to learn that. It's the seventh time in 10 Premier League home games that United have fallen behind this season. It's the 10th time in 19 matches overall in the league. So... When them goals went through, I found myself doing two things. Looking back to see how bad it was and going back to December 89, thinking I never thought there would be a month as bad as December 89 again. United lost four league games that month. That was when fans wanted Alex Ferguson to be sacked. And if United would have lost to Villa, which it looked like at half-time, that would have been five games, including that defeat to Bayern Munich. I wasn't angry like I was watching the West Ham game. I was resigned. I thought it was pretty sad. I thought... It just looks like the manager's lost lost everything here. And I was pretty sad with it. Emotions mixed up with the takeover, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But for some reason, I put a tenner on United to win. I don't know why I did it. And that second half was just glorious. And let's focus on the positives because there were so many in that second half. Is it a turning point? We've had this so many times, you know, we beat Fulham away. And someone said, is that the turning point? I just went, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Manchester United. We'll probably lose at Forest, win at Wigan, lose at Tottenham, win, lose, win, lose. It's been, it's been the nature of this season. It has, hasn't it? And even the nature of matches. I mean, it was such a boom and bust game. Um, it, that said, Laurie, Patrice Evra said on uh, Amazon Prime's coverage at halftime that if United play the same way, and defend set pieces better, they'll win 3-2, which was quite a statement at the time. And I think a few people were thinking that he might be a little bit crazy, considering we know what Patrice can be like. However, he was absolutely right. <laughs> I love how Andy and Patrice had the same line of thought yeah. without actually... You weren't watching on Amazon, were you, Andy? So No, I wasn't watching it. I mean, I know he does stuff for Amazon, and obviously I've worked with him, so I know what his head's like. And, and you're close to but, the Amazon. Yeah. 
but there was no uh, yeah, crossover. I, um, but I, I didn't. Have, I actually I didn't have any communication with him. I, I, I understood what whatever was saying though, and I don't know if you look at my tweet. I sort of stopped myself from saying it'll be interesting if United get the next goal. Dot dot dot. And I didn't have enough character, so I thought I'll just leave it where it was. But my kind of my, my feeling at half time was actually. The, the United are still in this. They've, they've conceded two horrendous goals from set pieces. If they can just tighten up there, Villa are giving them chances, and it's just about staying on side, not running offside stupidly. Which I think Hang in the on first a minute. Half they were doing. Y- United were just bit. offside. They were like constantly offside. I mean, yeah. they were offside more than any side has <laughs> yeah. ever been offside. It felt like in that first half, six offside calls in the first half. Was it not seven? Mm-hmm. I thought it was seven offside calls, and that was like the most in the Premier League. Oh, is that? I didn't know that. Right, there you go then. I think that's a yeah. Go and check the. I'm sure uh, that's right. It definitely felt like it. Anyway, <laughs> they were even closer. They were like three or four yards offside as well. So exactly. So that's a small tweak, isn't it? Just like don't be yeah, offside, guys. and then you know, and, and and they still were offside. You know, Garnacho uh, again looking a lot across the line <laughs> could probably see that he was just ahead of play. But you could see that the way Villa have played, the way that Emery's got his, you know, this particular team functioning, which is kind of um, alien to how his career has been constructed prior to this point really he's kind of really pushing um his his philosophy in this he's, he's, he's tweaked it again um but they weren't going to step away from that kind of uh, approach and i think that meant that united with hoyland with rashford with garnacho in behind with bruno slipping those passes in always had a chance and yeah i mean the the way that they actually ended up winning the game i think was a, a really compelling sort of sturdy performance and you wonder okay how much of that is ten Hag kind of has said to his players don't stop um, believe in do these you just turned um, into Chesney Hawks for a moment there <laughs> <laughs> I nearly stopped myself then I was like I'm pretty sure that's what you said no though, it wasn't Chesney time, Hawks wasn't it? was it <laughs> I'm, I'm got that completely it. wrong no it wasn't it was it Journey Journey isn't it Journey I'm mixing up my one it wonders I've got a polar neck on right now and and you know so maybe that's maybe that's where the Chesney Hawks coming from never going to give you up Laurie was that comeback the result of Ten Hag having those kind of principles in place from the coaching sessions, from the way he spoke to them at half-time. Is it players just suddenly clicking and thinking, you know, we're going to take this game by ourselves and, and run with it? Um, I think it maybe is a combination of both. And, you know, th- there are obviously issues there with Eriksen Haag and, and what he's asking his players. Not everything's getting through. Um, there's some resistance, I think, what he's asking them. But in a moment like that, that that did say something for his management. If you're 2-0 down at home and you manage to come back to win 3-2... I know they've done it before against Nottingham Forest, but this felt more pivotal. Tactically, uh, I know Ten Hag gave an interview in Dutch. It looked well. It looked to be into a via play microphone, and he said one of the things they talked about halftime was getting the fullbacks to join, join in with the press, which is something we've spoken about a lot on this podcast. Of United look better up front when the fullbacks jump up and join everything, and Dalo and Wambasaka did get m- more aggressive in that second half. And I think that helped. I also think Garnacho really just almost dragging that team, kicking and screaming in the first 15 minutes of that second half. A hundred percent. That boy. A hundred percent. He's not the finished product. I'm not sure if he's going to be the starting left-sided option, but he has never seen a defender. He's not thought, I'm going to run at you. And I love that from him. I love the fact that he's got this. Someone said he's got a uh, a goldfish memory, where even <laughs> the bad decisions he's made thirty seconds ago doesn't exclude what he's going to do next. You give him the ball, and he's going to go. I'm going to run forward. I'm going to try and skin you. And boy, it worked. <laughs> Strength of character, Carl. That that was the thing for me with with Garnacho. I mean, even after the goal was disallowed for offside, the runs were still there. He wanted the ball. He was demanding the ball at times. It, 
during the game in the first half, but especially in the second half. And, and playing on the right-hand side, Andy, which I think his brother's said on social media, he's never done. But he looked right at home, didn't he? He looked better on the right than he's even looked on the left. Maybe it's one of them things that clicks. Remember Cole and York? seven or eight games into that treble season they just clicked Ferguson didn't know it was going to happen it was Southampton away and it doesn't add up with Garnacho playing there but he, he played really well there and as Carl says he isn't the complete article he's still very young he does run at players he often plays for himself which is probably not something which is ideal for Rasmus Hoyland because he doesn't get a huge amount of service because of that scored some spectacular goals, the most spectacular one we're likely to see all season. But I'm finding him being man of the match more often than any other player at the moment. I think that was his 13th consecutive start and he looks a threat in a team which doesn't score enough goals because we're all on a high now because the team have come from behind and scored three goals but hadn't scored in four games Seven up hours. until yesterday. Seven, Seven hours. hours. And, and, and the bad traits were still happening, still conceding those multiple goals in very short spells. That's a really bad trait United need to knock out. It happened against West Ham. It happened um, against Villa. It happened against Bournemouth. That's just in December alone. The team is still losing far too many matches, but he's a bright spark. I can remember being really frustrated with a young lad from Portugal called Cristiano Ronaldo. And it took him a couple of years to get right. I'm not saying is going to be the next Ronaldo at all, but he will frustrate us. But when it comes right, and when he comes on, he's, he's gone from being a player who comes off the bench because he's not ready to start to being a player who, if he's not starting, you're wondering why now. He's in that um, phase they say, you know, he's, he's a scorer of great goals, but not quite a great goal scorer. And he's in that, he's in that spot now where... I'd say 30% of what he does in a football field isn't going to come off attacking-wise. And he does need to improve that final ball. So not only did he score that offside goal, there was a moment, I want to say, just past the hour mark where he's through. And Hoyland, is, Hoyland doesn't quite run near post. He doesn't quite run back post. And he doesn't quite hold his position. But you'd expect a winger to, to pull that ball back for Hoyland. And he misses completely. And you're going, oh God, that was, that was the chance. That was the equaliser. But as Ian says... Garnacho got the ball again and went for another goal, which helps. Um, yeah, if if he can maintain this momentum in the next couple of games, all power to him. And if if he wants to be an option on the right hand side, I know I said I don't want him on the right hand side, but hey, that spot's up for grabs. Yeah, definitely. I, I loved his line as well, Laurie, where he sort of said, you know, people talk too much about Manchester United's attackers. Well, if you do that more often. Alejandro, maybe people won't criticise Manchester United's attackers as much. It was the whole seven hours without scoring thing that was maybe attracting those sort of comments. But, you know, to stand up to that, to comment about it, to laugh about it in a way, after you've um, after you've gone and scored two goals from a young lad, you know, he's good. You want to stay on the right side of that. But again, it's an energy to harness, isn't it? It's, there's a confidence there. There's a slight arrogance there as well, which I think is really good for a young player at United. Before the game, Ten Hag said, and he very, very rarely does this. In fact, I can't even remember if he's ever done it before. But he explicitly stated, Alejandro Garnacho will play on the right, Marcus Rashford will play on the left, and Bruno Fernandes will play as a number 10 close to Rasmus Hoyland. Unprompted. Now, he thought that was the way to get Manchester United scoring again, Laurie. I mean, I thought it was very interesting that he was so overt in letting everyone know that. I mean, it'd be really fascinating to ask him why he wanted to 
make that clear because you know as soon as the team's out you can see it for your own um eyes but i guess maybe he's sort of saying you know the narrative has been tenaga's been shuffling players around trying to fit them into some kind of shape and and actually if you put players in their best positions okay garnacho is the one that's kind of had to shift there but rashford being back on the left i did i thought he played really really well rashford i thought that's probably his best performance of the season just i know he didn't get everything right but for the fact that he kept running and he kept he, you know he got physical with some of his opponents and um which i like to see um so i, I think maybe tenag saying that from the get go just as a kind of ego then this is this is kind of what you've all been sort of calling for a little maybe, bit maybe yeah maybe i'm misreading no, no, that, that situation right, but yeah. we've seen Garnacho on the right for sure like, like in moments of games they've definitely swapped him and rashford but i guess what his brother might mean is is on the right from the start but he does have a good left foot you know obviously he scored his second goal with his left i know it took a deflection but he's it's not a you know a swinger so he has that capacity to still do to cut in on the on the right and, and hit with his left and yeah i guess it's just getting those right moments as carl's touched on where you want a cross to come or a, a drag back and he, he's done it you know he did it for Rashford in the derby you know earlier this season I know from the other side but you know so I think I think that is something that he'll improve I, he's won me over you know Garnacho I, I wasn't sure about him in the FA Youth Cup winning team not because you can see he's got quality and, and speed and but you kind of wonder is that is, is it just all speed and he's, he's benefiting from it because he's just advanced of, of that age group that he's playing against um, and you know you hear the kind of slight doubts about what he's like sort of off the pitch but I think actually he's he's pretty he's pretty straight really he loves his football clearly he's got the personality to carry it off and yeah if that sort of shows itself in a flamboyance and um, a kind of bravado at times then that's what you need to score goals at Old Trafford because it is a lot of pressure and you know no one's above it I don't even think Marcus Rashford's been above it at times this season where you know I watched the Ronnie O'Sullivan documentary and he's you know the world's greatest snooker player to ever live and he was getting stage fright before going on um, you know the crucible and kind of hitting a few snooker balls maybe it's a different thing because you're in a team uh, with United but I do I do wonder if that is an issue for, for some players when you've got that kind of extreme pressure and you know you just start doubting yourself a little bit I think what also helped is is Bruno being played as the 10 there was no Scott McTominay in that midfield so Kobe Mainu done it again you have Cobby <laughs> I've done it again I've done it again <laughs> Maynou deepest midfielder next to Christian Eriksen Bruno got to play as the 10 he didn't have to drop deep to to receive the ball because McTominay was playing as this sort of 3-8 and whatnot so Bruno close to the striker able to get balls into the striker uh, able to you know do his roadrunner stuff and yeah okay when he got his booking for complaining to the referee I did go oh for the love of God but if you're going to have him in the team, you may as well have him in his best position, which is as the 10, rather than this eight and a half, whatever experiment we've had for a bit. So this was closer to square pegs and square holes from Ten Hag. And even though there were two very, very, very cheap set-piece goals to concede, they got there in the end. Yes, they did. There's lots of great writing on Manchester United's win against Aston Villa and also the presence of Sir Dave Brailsford at Old Trafford on The Athletic right now. In the coming days... And weeks, there'll be even more, of course. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, of course, uh, there is that offer on at the moment. Christmas has passed, but you can still be generous as the new year comes around. 19.99 for a year's subscription to The Athletic. You can buy that for a friend or a loved one at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Before we get into the investment stuff, 
I need to remind you that we have been nominated for the Best Team Podcast again at the Sports Podcast Awards. You can vote for us if you like. It would be nice if you did. Uh, And we'll stick the information about how to vote on the show notes and also on our social media accounts as well. We'd love your support. But 13 months on from the Glazer family announcing that there would be a strategic review into Manchester United. Finally, on Christmas Eve, it was announced that Ineos had bought 25% of Manchester United and gained sporting control for the cool price of $1.3 billion. Andy, what's your reaction to this? My reaction is one of cautious optimism. The proof will be in the pudding. I'm glad it's happened rather than hasn't happened. As I've said on this pod before, it's the one deal Sir Jim Ratcliffe felt he could do. He knows it's not ideal. We know it's not ideal. I don't know of any United fan who would want the Glazers to to hang around. They've had the time, but they they do own the train set and it's up to them how much of that train set they want to partition off or give away. They will profit immensely from this deal. But I think that the Glazers not having control of the football side of things is a positive and I'm optimistic about it. Let's, you know, Dave Brailsford coming in is not a football man. I think we should apply scrutiny to these people at every stage as, as journalists. I think fans will do that as well. But I'm, I am glad that it has been done. And, and I think most United fans are as well. I know there were some who wanted Qatar. I know there are some who wanted a full sale only. But again, it's the only deal that Sir Jim Ratcliffe felt he could do. I look at his motives. He's 71 years old. He's not going to want to ruin Manchester United in his 70s and be remembered as the man who made Manchester United even worse. He wants to be remembered as the man who made Manchester United great again. Good luck to him. Yeah, from what people have said to me, the idea of the challenge of United, Laurie, is what is energising him and has uh, powered this attempt to buy Manchester United. Obviously, for the minute, it's just a 25% share of the club, but it's a start, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a pretty major start, really, because what the other option is that the Glazers stay and, and keep running the club as they have been doing, whereas this is actually... This is the the nub of the issue. I know clearly the, the the money that they've taken out of the club is enormous, and that is now continuing with the money that Ratcliffe is paying for their shares. You know the the, the profit they've made on the initial two hundred seventy million pounds that Malcolm Glazer spent buying the shares in the first place is um is crazy, really. But it means that actually he now has control of the sporting side of things and the devil's in the detail clearly but but interestingly for example the SEC filing that was placed um, at full time uh, onto the New York Stock Exchange at, at, uh, at full time of the game uh, on Boxing Day um, just to really continue the theme of, of Christmas you know Christmas Eve this gets dropped after 13 months <laughs> staff at United are getting called in for an all hands I'm sure they were delighted about that and then after a, a thrilling game like that you know, full-time, okay, right, bang, here we go, SEC fan, it's like 240 pages, and it's really technical, complex stuff. But one of the things I thought was interesting was that they've already seen transfer plans, uh, Ratcliffe and, and his Ineos team, that, 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 written down. Um, and now, if the Glazers want to change that, even for the January transfer window, they have to consult with Ratcliffe first. So it's not that he has absolute control right now from this instant, but basically... Their, their, their feet are under the table, you know. Brailsford was there in the stands last night. It's, it's their baby now, I would say. I know they've got to wait, you know, six to eight weeks probably for Premier League ratification. Um, but clearly they've been 
letting on a lot of what United are trying to do on the football side and they'll have their own minds. You know, we touched on it in the previous um, episode in terms of what Dave Brailsford might be looking for in terms of a sporting director and a recruitment specialist and I think that's what people would like to see enhanced and, and, and see United at the cutting edge of doing these kind of deals that then mean that they they feel like the players that are on the pitch are there for the right reasons and there's a kind of upward trajectory around them. Um, I do think it's quite interesting actually as well, just another uh, small detail that he's um, created a company called Trawlers Limited uh, based in Nile Man, um, but that's clearly a nod to his favourite player, Eric Cantona, who said something about seagulls, right? Of course. I thought it was interesting last night that Dave Brailsford was sat alongside Patrick Stewart and John Murtagh to watch the match and we were told ahead of time that that was the plan for Manchester United as well. The idea of the the old welcoming the new and and, and people being excited to work together. Um, I'd like to know whether Patrick, Andy, recommended the pod to to Dave Brailsford, but we'd welcome him along, of course, uh, for the ride. Um, I'm sure he'd enjoy um, every episode of Talk of the Devils. And, and, and Dave, if you want to vote for us in the Best Team Podcast uh, Award as well, that would be welcomed. But um, addressing the fans straight away, Carl, was an interesting move from Ineos. We saw that statement from from Must that was released, an open letter from um, Jim Radcliffe to United supporters. And I thought it was interesting that it went through the supporters' trust as opposed to just through the club's line of communication. This is this is the time to, to get buy-in from Ineos. This is where they're going to say a lot of the, the right things and the encouraging things to get fans on side. The fact that they've done it through the supporters' trust is the sort of sensible optics to to make sure to try and allay fans' mistrust, right? What's the easiest way to make sure you go? Hi, I'm not like the Glazers. Do something the Glazers would never do. Make your statement that way. The tr- I think the trawlers, the naming your company after trawlers as well, is a little Easter egg for people as well. Um, they're trying to charm you, and I think they'll go a long way to charming a number of football fans. I think also a number of football fans are going to be listening to this and going, "Yeah, but January transfer window. What does this mean? What does this mean for here? What does this mean there?" Um, the uh, additional three hundred million pound for infrastructure investment as well is also quite interesting. So, Old Trafford now goes from being a question mark, question mark, question mark to knowing there's some sort of budget involved in improving that football ground. So, Andy says, "I'm I'm not you know fist pumping, jumping for joy, saying everything's going to be amazing forever. I think what you're going to get is is a new paradigm, uh, a, a new." set of interesting often bespeckled people to analyze and figure out and uh yeah it's time for us to do some digging for one way or another so jim radcliffe's going to become the most famous minority investor in all of world football so uh if there's anything he doesn't want people looking at uh good luck because they're going to find out one way or another well yeah he probably is already the most famous minority investor in football he probably was even before this announcement to be fair because we knew it was coming however long it took but the details are becoming a little clearer now Laurie you mentioned before about the announcement to the New York Stock Exchange on Boxing Day and some of the detail in that well another aspect of it which is fascinating is these so-called drag-along rights do you want to explain that to to the audience for us 
so after 18 months, the deal has these drag-along rights that basically allow for a potential full sale. So if the Glazers want to sell their shares, uh, Ratcliffe has to uh, buy them for a set price. Um, and if he doesn't, then he's actually forced to sell the shares that he has so that you can have a full takeover. But uh, there's lots of complexities and caveats. Um, it's basically the Glazers hedging their bets and, and Ratcliffe having a head start uh, in any further sale process. But yeah, I think we'll probably delve into it in a more uh, concrete way and kind of bring you that as we have more time to do so. Yeah, definitely. There's lots of information on this and we're learning all the time. So yeah, bear with us on that. Jim Ratcliffe's asked for time and patience, I think, from Manchester United fans while he sorts things out. We might need the same pouring over 200 paid documents on Boxing Day night. Andy, the one aspect of this which I'm sure Ineos will be interested in is the sort of state of play behind the scenes. And Laurie's piece the other day pulled back the curtain big time on some of the stuff that's been going on. It was a fantastic piece, uh, which if you've not read please, please go and read it. It's an amazing insight into Manchester United in, in recent seasons. Um, there's potential for a lot to be looked at there, isn't there? I think the phrase Ineos uses is we're going to have a good look under the bonnet and that will go throughout the whole club. And there will be staff employees who are worried about losing their jobs. So let's not celebrate that. There'll be normal, hard-working people just as we're at Grangemouth when Ineos went against the unions there, who lost their jobs. This is real life, real issues. Their motivation is to improve Manchester United, but there's uncertainty, as there is is any takeover, any partial takeover. I think fans are more concerned about what happens on, on the football side and most concerned with player recruitment because that's what gets people really excited. But as Laurie touched on in great detail, in the piece, a sports director, is one going to come in or not? Are the people there going to stay? Because if you ask John Murtagh now, he will say, I'm happy to stay here, I'm happy to work with whoever comes in, I'm happy for my role to shift. And that might not end up being his decision. And yesterday he sat with Dave Brailsford, Patrick Stewart, very competent at his job. You know, there's people sometimes say, get rid of everyone, bring a load of new people in. I'm not for that. I think that... There's a lot of good people at United, and any of us have said that, they realise that. But for some reason, United has not been working. United have underachieved, they've overspent on players, the recruitment has been poor in the post-Ferguson years, and it's sensible that someone looks at that and asks difficult questions, and asks why Manchester United have spent so much and won so little, because that's all fans have done. And... There is a huge amount of room for improvement in recruitment. I went to Nice. They were getting it wrong for a few years. They're getting it right now. They've got good executives there. They've got a good sports director there. There'll be sports directors around Europe who think, I want to have an influence at Manchester United. Because for all Dave Brailsford's talents, he's not a football person. He's not the man who says there's a 22-year-old left-back at Real Salt and Peanuts in the Uruguayan second division who we should be going after. There are humans like that who do exist. They know absolutely everything. I, knew, I know a few coaches who, when I'm struggling and I, need to, I get asked to write about a player I don't know a lot about, you can ring them and they know everything about them. And there are sports directors like that. They speak five or six languages. They're very good at the jobs. So there will be changes. I think most fans would welcome changes, but the evidence will be on the pitch. Results set the mood so much. United wouldn't have won yesterday. We'd be talking today about whether Tenard could keep his job or not. That's not even on the agenda today. And that, that was all off of a really good 45 minutes 
at Old Trafford has changed that. If you look at the reaction from fans online at half-time, there were a lot of people saying it's time for the manager to go, we've had enough, etc., etc. It all changed, and hopefully things will change with Ineos. But for the, for the time being, they can only be consulted and are not able to make decisions until completion on the deal. Officially. Officially. But, of course, <laughs> we all know that football doesn't work officially. I read Laurie's piece on the train out to London before Christmas, and I hadn't been that shocked at a piece since Laurie revealed uh, information being fed through AirPods. Um, it's a tremendous piece, and if you listen to this, you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Uh, one thing that also came out, the current bods at United really like naming their projects. So... Changing up Manchester United was dubbed Project Bethlehem. Uh, this current strategic review that brought in Ineos and Sir Jim Ratcliffe was dubbed Project Ruby, um, w- which has now got me a bit of a... Like, who names these? Why are you naming them? For what? Um, so yeah, there's some slideshows I want to have a look at. Uh, definitely recommend that piece. I also think, since reading Laurie's piece, my um, my opinion on the Mason Mount move has changed. I know there's been two or three times we've been on this podcast saying Ten Hag pushed for Mason Mount, and I th- I think, now this, you know, Laurie, please correct me. The gist I got from reading your piece was it was less Ten Hag push for Mason Mount and more Ten Hag was approached saying a deal can be done for Mason Mount. Would you like us to proceed? And Ten Hag went, yes. I think there's all kinds of nuance, isn't there? And this is, it's difficult with a piece like this to know for absolute certainty who said what, when and and why moves were pursued. What, what we can say for sure is that United felt that on the Mason Mount one, Arsenal and Liverpool were writing for him. They didn't want to miss out to them. Also, Chelsea were selling other players. So the leverage that they had, they thought, with the you know financial fair play situation at Stamford Bridge would lessen uh, if they sold other players first and, and then Mason Mount. I mean, as it, as it happens, though, they paid £55 million plus £5 million for him. And, and I thought that was quite interesting. The £5 million basically is if... United win the title uh, five times and Mason Mount plays 70% of the games in each of those title winning campaigns. So clearly that is, you know, if, if that happens, then United will be absolutely buzzing. But the the chances of it are, you know, uh, slim, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult. And and the piece, yeah, I, I want to thank people because uh, I got a lot of um, appreciation from people who, who read the piece and, and thanks Ian for your kind words as well. Um, it was a piece that kind of, long in the making you know from speaking to people and finding out what people's perceptions of individuals in power are and you know clearly uh, John Murtagh was a, a major facet of that and as Andy's touched on he does want to keep his job you know it's not a case of the Richard Arnold situation where I think he realised uh, the writing was on the wall and he, he couldn't work in the, 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 the scheme that was to come um, I think John Murtagh would you know be open to working in a different capacity um, I guess it's up to Dave Brailsford and to Jim Ratcliffe to figure out what that might be and if that is indeed the case um, but yeah I, I appreciate everyone's feedback on the piece because it, it put a lot I had a lot of work to put into it it was excellent mate um, and you deserve every word that you've been given in praise no doubt at all go and read that piece simple as that I don't need to say anything else um, we're not going to preview the game against Nottingham Forest simply because we've already done it because we didn't think that we'd be doing another podcast over Christmas uh, it's funny how these things work out with Manchester United but we know that you all love an emergency pod so I hope you've enjoyed this the one thing that we do know 
from the last podcast when we did preview Forest and go back and listen to it if you want to, is that Laurie Whitwell doesn't believe in, in Nuno Espirito Santo, who <laughs> I knew this was um, so far has been quite unlucky in his first game and ended up uh, masterminding a win at Newcastle, which not a lot of managers have managed to do so far this season. So when you're able to rely on Chris Wood, you know, elite striker, uh, yeah. you know, the opposition team have got no hope. Anything's possible when you've got Wood. There's no question about that. We're going to leave it there. Laurie, Andy, Carl, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for putting down the turkey butties and everything else uh, to come and do this podcast. It's been brilliant to have you all here. Merry Christmas again to you guys and Merry Christmas to you at home, uh, if indeed you celebrate. But we will be back in the new year on the Thursday, so the 4th of January, some point during that day after Manchester United have popped Nuno Espirito Santos' uh, new manager bounce. Isn't that right, Laurie? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) We'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. The Athletic.